We're going to be looking this morning at, uh, at the topic of prayer. And uh, I've entitled this series, Lifestyle for Life. And we talked a little bit last week about the fact that God has called us into life. Jesus has called us to life and that life to the full, or an abundant life, as John says in John 10.10. 10. And the challenge with that is often as Christians, as we look at our lives, we don't seem to be experiencing that life that, uh, that Jesus has promised as he lived that life to the full here. And uh, we recognize, I think that, I think it was Dallas Willard that said, if we're not living the lifestyle of Jesus, it's going to be hard for us to experience the life of Jesus. And uh, as leadership here, we talked about, okay, what are those things that characterize Jesus' life? that enabled him to kind of sink in with the Father so that he could say, I don't do anything other than what the Father tells me to do. And uh, so we're going to embark on this journey of a couple times a year to look at one of the practices that seem to be significant in Jesus' life and seek to kind of work that into our lives in a more practical and real way. And like I said, we're talking about prayer this morning. Like evangelism, that's one of those topics that's like, oh, it's real easy to lay on the guilt as a pastor in this area. Um, one of my favorite books on prayer is this little book, Philip Yancey, on prayer. And uh, they did a survey of evangelical believers before uh, writing the book. And I think it was of like 678 evangelical believers. And they asked them, are you satisfied with your prayer life? 23 responded, yes, I'm satisfied with my prayer life. So that's what, three or four percent. So uh, as I look at, I recognize probably all of us struggle a little bit with prayer. And uh, it's one of those topics that's kind of easy to talk about. And uh, you know, these guys write, this is a 350 page book, and Keller's got a book, good book on prayer that's about 330 pages. We can write about it, we can talk about it, um, but when it comes to actually doing it in our lives, that's one of the biggest challenges that we face. And uh, to me, uh, as we look at all these different practices, at the habits of Jesus that seem to sink him in with the Father so closely, to me prayer is one of those ones that seems really, really significant in Jesus' life. Um, it's the only practice that I'm aware of in scriptures that the disciples come to Jesus and and um, Luke 11, 1 says, teach us to pray. They don't come to Jesus and say, hey, teach us to share the gospel of the kingdom. Or teach us how to heal. Or teach us, it's teach us how to pray. And I think, like, why is that brought up by the authors of the gospel as, as so significant? Well, I think that they saw in Jesus something really, really significant in his prayer life. Something that they were attracted to and drawn to. Maybe something that they saw, this is kind of maybe what is the source of Jesus' strength and power as he goes through life. Bombarded in so many directions, but able to go through life kind of with a peace and a calm and just a sense of God's presence with him. Um, in, Mark, or in Matthew 14, 23, and in Mark 6, 46... Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. And five times, I think, in the Gospels, we're told that Jesus went to a solitary place. He got away. He went away to pray. Um, 
Mark 1.35, and uh, you non-morning people, you're not going to like this one. It says, very early, while still dark, Jesus went to a solitary place to pray. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. We look at the Gospels and times of significance in Jesus' life when he was about to be baptized, when he was choosing who his 12 apostles were going to be before he went to the cross. He spent significant time in prayer. And it was also a time of, I think, revelation and assurance in his relationship with the Father. In Luke 3.21, in the baptism, it says that Jesus was praying there and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and then the voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Another time that you hear that exact same comment is when he took a couple of his disciples up on the mountain and he was transfigured. They went up the mountain alone to get away and they were praying and it says while they were praying, Jesus was transfigured. In the end, then... Moses and Elijah are there, and Peter, in his inimitable way, puts his foot in his mouth and says, hey, this is a great place for us to be. Let's build these booth structures, and we'll just hang out up here for a while. And the father didn't like that that much, overshadows him with a cloud, and says, you know, my son is not to be compared with Moses and Elijah. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased with him. So I think you see this pattern throughout Jesus' life of... I need to spend time with my father. And he would often get away, away from the crowds, away from the noise, away from the push. Sometimes he spent all night in prayer to be with the father and to commune with the father. And think about that. Okay, if Jesus needed that, how much more do I need that? And Jesus seemed to expect that of his disciples as well. In Matthew 6, where we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning, he says, when you pray, four times. It's not if you pray or maybe whenever, sometimes you get around to it, pray. But he says, when you pray, do this. In Luke eleven nine, he says, I tell you, ask, seek, knock. And those verbs are in the present tense, and the idea is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In Luke 18, he tells a parable, and he says, I'm telling this so that you would always pray and not give up. As you read through the book of Acts, you see this pattern where regularly the church is meeting to pray. Before Pentecost, they're meeting to pray. Before they send out missionaries, they meet to pray. It's throughout the book of Acts, this prayer. And then we get to the letters of Paul, and he over and over is encouraging people to pray, and he's praying for his churches and a couple of them are direct commands. In Colossians 4.12, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue. That means they're already doing it. Maybe some of us are, maybe some of us aren't. But he says, be steadfast in that. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And again, that's a command. Martin Luther's um, from his cohorts was said to have prayed about three hours a day. And uh, he said this, he says, prayer is as much of a command as not stealing, not committing adultery, not murdering. So he says, this is really important and really significant. Are you feeling guilty yet? <laughs> Again, 
To me, an awareness of a lack in our life is evidence of God's grace to us. It may mean he's nudging us to engage in something that is significant that maybe we have not been putting the effort and time that we need to put into it. And again, to me, you look at Jesus' life as you read through the Gospels and you can see what a crucial part of his lifestyle was this time of prayer with the Father. But if we're honest, and if those surveys are correct, the vast majority of us really, really struggle to pray. And I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of them is if we're honest, we don't really see it as that essential for us. In the West, most of our needs are met, and even as we look at the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, it's like, oh, I've never really worried that much about that. You know, I'll head down to Publix or Walmart, and usually that's pretty much taken care of. We tend to pray more when we feel that need. And I remember several times going over to Moldova, and when we went over there, it was the poorest country in Europe. And one of the things that I was struck by from Moldovan Christians is just how often they prayed. And I thought about it, I was like, why are they doing this so much? But really, realizing that in that, they recognize if God doesn't work, nothing's going to happen here. We can't just go here and grab this or go there and grab that. God has got to be behind all of this. Our needs are evident. They're kind of daily and it fostered this closeness in their relationship with God that we who have so much, I think, may miss out on. Ollie Halsby, a uh, Norwegian guy, said this, prayer is only for the helpless. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And the important thing is to recognize that, in fact, all of us are helpless. We may not be as helpless materially as other people are, but you look at our country right now, you look at what is happening in our world, and you recognize, yeah, even though bread is pretty available, we seem to be living in a time where things are really, really fragile. Institutions are really, really fragile. Hatred is running about a millimeter under the surface in so many people's lives. And you recognize, wow, and all the things that I counted on as certain and secure, maybe they're not quite as certain and secure as I thought. You know, we've gone through this year of COVID, and as I've told people at first hit, I'm like, yeah, we'll be through that by August. You know, things will be back to normal. You know, how wrong I was in recognizing, okay, some little bug that came probably from some animal somewhere that crossed over to humans has basically wreaked havoc on the entire world. Close to 400,000 Americans have now died of this little bug and we recognize maybe we're not quite as powerful and all-sufficient as we thought. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I've wrestled with that scripture some because Jesus, we can do a whole lot apart from you. But I think what he's saying there is, apart from me, you cannot do anything of spiritual significance that is going to last and endure and be of any significance for the sake of the kingdom. So I think we need to begin to realize that prayer is significant because we really are helpless. You know, and it's times where we get to those places where we may get that health diagnosis or we may be in a relational conflict that we just can't solve that we find ourselves going to prayer. And I think, ooh, wouldn't it be great, myself included, if I would go to prayer a lot more, <laughs> even when things are going fairly smoothly. 
Also, I think a thing that makes prayer a huge struggle for us is that our world today, we have more distractions than I think at any time in history. You know, we can be constantly amused at all times with those little things that we carry around in our pockets, right? And we put that thing down just for a few moments and it begins to scream at us, pick me up, pick me up. If you don't pick me up, you're going to miss something really significant that's going to change your life forever. You're going to miss out. And FOMO hits, you know, and the reality is, oh, I got to have No, put it down. But I think that is ever present with us. Being quiet is not something most of us are very comfortable with. Because we have to think. We got to ponder. We got to look at life. And it's a whole lot easier to plug in some funny thing on YouTube or click on Netflix again and watch reruns of The Office or whatever it is that we get sucked into and binge on than to really think about life. I was listening to um, Rick Steves. You guys know Rick Steves, the guy that does the travel stuff. He's on NPR. And they were talking to uh, folks that uh, were not from Italy, but have settled in Italy. And they were going through all the hassles of what it is to live in Italy and how corrupt it was and, and all those ways. And they're like, well, why do you live here? And the one person said, I just love the pace of life here. So I don't realize how crazy America is until I come back. And in Italy, we sit down, we have a meal, we talk with one another. When work is over, work is over. And he says, you come back to America and everybody's running, 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 running all the time, even in their free time. So I think one of the challenges, especially for us in this country, is to get that time where we set aside for things of significance. But we've just got a million distractions in our lives. I think another reason that prayer is a struggle is a lot of us doubt if it really changes Everything. You may have prayed for something for a little while and God didn't come through and it's like, what? what in the world am I doing this? Doesn't God know already what my needs are? Why should I pray? And you get into these deep philosophical arguments about prayer and stuff like that. To me, the best reason that I can give you of why to pray is that Jesus prayed. We can delve into all the philosophy of that and circumstances and God's sovereignty over all this and how our prayers fit into all of that. And we can get deep in the weeds there, but as you look at Jesus, he felt prayer was a significant, significant part of his life and something that he needed to do regularly. So to me, if we doubt it changes anything, then I think we need to look at Jesus and say, he felt this was really significant. And I may not be able to figure it all out right now, but this is really important to my Savior, and it probably should be really important to me. Another reason we struggle to pray, I think, is we just don't plan for it. Frankly, we're not disciplined, right? And I think, to me, sometimes it's easier to set up a discipline for my physical exercise than for my prayer life sometimes. And, you know, that's just the reality. You know, I was reading one guy, and he said, you know, I used to put prayer at 6.30 on my daytime. And he said, I would often just kind of blow right by that and not feel that bad. And then he said, now I put in God, 6.30. And he says, it's a little bit harder to ignore, to recognize, okay, this is a time where I'm connecting and communing with the God of the universe. I want that to be significant and important in my life. I need to discipline myself for that and be a little bit more structured in life. 
I'm more of a free spirit, and I know there's some of you that are much more structured, and your prayer's probably going to look different, but I think for all of us, we need, as we look at Jesus' life, to set that time aside where we pray. Yeah, we can pray without ceasing, we go through the day, and, you know, it's I can worship God on the golf course. Yeah, you can. My question is, do you when you're out there? I rarely worship God. I usually have to repent after golfing, but, you know, that's possible. Another struggle that we have is we're just not sure how to do it. We get into prayer, and after about five minutes, man, we're just tapped out. I got nothing more. And hopefully, as we go through a couple teachings on this, we'll give you some stuff that you can build that prayer life on, some more structure there. But how do we do this? Another reason is I'm just not feeling close to God. Or I'm struggling with some area in my life, and I don't feel like I can go to God right now. Toby had us read that passage from Hebrews 14 this morning that we've got a high priest that's not distant, uncaring, unable to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. If we're struggling, that is the time where we need most to go to God in prayer. And to me, we can bring all of our feelings to God, even those ones that are not quite so pretty, right? If you read through the Psalms, you will see a huge spectrum of emotions there, right? The Psalms are the language of humans directed towards God. And there's times where David says, Oh, this is so great, so awesome, I'm just amazed by your presence, it's so great to be with you. And other times, he's crying out, God, where in the heck are you? If you were involved in my life, things would not be tubing out like they are right now. What in the world is going on? And both of those are prayer. So don't wait till your feelings are at that place where I'm feeling really connected and close with God. If you're struggling, go to God with those struggles. He knows what you're feeling anyhow. You're not hiding anything. So he wants us to go and he wants us to wrestle in prayer. To struggle with God. What in the world is going on? There's example after example in scripture of that. Habakkuk is like, how in the world can you use the Assyrians to judge us? We're a whole lot better than them. That's not righteous. That's not right. That's not just. What in the world is going on? He doesn't sugarcoat it. He goes to God. And then he allows God to speak to his heart in the midst of those emotions. So don't feel like I've got to be at that place where everything's harmonious, you know, kind of the new age prayer and feeling the harmonic vibe, the convergence is happening, you know, and I'm getting in that Zen place. No, go to God with all that you have. Be honest with Him in prayer. And then another reason I think prayer is such a struggle is that I really do think there's a spiritual opposition to prayer. Because I think it's the one discipline that out of all of them is so significant for us because it connects us with God. It allows us to abide in Christ, to stay connected there. And so to me, the one thing that the evil one knows, if I can cut this believer off from communication and supply of the Holy Spirit, then that's going to be a really, really good thing. We came in this morning and everything was going haywire. We unplugged one cord from our stage box up here and it sent our digital board just totally, it's like, what in the world is going on? Ryan was back there toiling, trying to get back. No matter what we did, it wouldn't work. It's like, okay, let's get the sound system from over there. And so we're all running around like chickens with our heads cut off. It's like, why is this happening this morning? We're not able to stream this morning. It's like, well, I don't know, but we're talking about prayer. Maybe that's part of it. 
Any of you sat down ever to pray and it seems like, man, a zillion things seem to happen, right? The kids throw up or whatever happens, you know? It's just like, why is this so hard? Or we find our mind going a zillion different directions and it's just like, why can't I not concentrate right now? And again, I think it's because this is so vital that it's hit so hard. But because of that, that's why I think it's so important for us to dig into it a little bit. To make this more of a practice in our lives as we see it practiced by our Savior. So how many of you here this morning, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but just internally, are satisfied with your prayer life? You think, man, I've got this down, Jesus and I, we're just like so tight. There's not a moment where I don't feel connected with Him. Again, if you said, I'm not where I want to be, that's a great place to start. It's right where the disciples started in Luke 11. Jesus, you're praying, we're looking at all this, and we're realizing we don't have that. Teach us to pray. That implies that it's a process. It's something that we can learn. There are over 650 prayers about in Scripture. And I want to focus on one this morning, probably the most common one. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the prayer for the disciples. Um, and it's given in two places. Uh, one is in Luke 11. And uh, it's the little bit shorter, more truncated version of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I want to look at the one that uh, is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. And I just want to go through this and... Just flesh it out a little bit. Um, again, to me, um, it's just like, is this something that we're to recite as believers? Is this something that we, it's an exact structure that we have to pray in order to be heard by God? I don't think that's the case. One of the reasons I don't think it's the case is that in the two Gospels, it's slightly different. If every single word needed to be the same and it wasn't more of a guideline or a structure around which to build your prayers then they would be identical but they're somewhat different there also when we see Jesus praying when we see Paul praying when we see him praying in Acts they weren't just reciting the Lord's Prayer but this is the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples when they said teach us to pray and so I think there's some really significant components in this prayer that will help guide and structure how we pray and how we approach prayer. I'm going to read, this is Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the Lord's Prayer. Unlike Yancey and Keller and Carson and all these guys that write on prayer in hundreds of pages, I love Jesus' succinctness. Teach us to pray, and Jesus gives him a prayer that will literally take about 25 seconds to go through. But like Jesus, there's so much depth in this prayer if we dig into it. And so I just want to go through it briefly. First is kind of the orientation of prayer. Oftentimes we pray, why? Because we're in trouble and there's a need. 
God, I want you to do this for me and, and work out this for me. And man, this went wrong and this needs to happen in my life. And, and, and we approach God with all of our stuff right away, right? This is, this is what I need. Isn't this what prayer is for, to bring all my concerns to God? Yes, we can bring our concerns to God. But when Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray, he starts out with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a perspective shift. In the midst of all the brokenness of this world, Jesus starts by focusing the disciples in on who they are speaking with. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now for some of you, your experience with an earthly father has not been that great. And that's something probably you're going to have to process and work through if you haven't. I encourage you to talk to a friend, talk to a counselor, and work through that. But when we hear father here, this is the ideal father. If your father fell short, and every father falls short, I know that because I am a father. But as we sing, God's a good, good father. If we ask for bread, he doesn't give us a stone, right? So to recognize that we start out with this understanding that we're not here all alone. We're not orphans abandoned on this planet. We're not meaningless blobs of protoplasm that are worth about 70 bucks in chemicals that one day will disintegrate and go back to the earth and there's going to be no purpose or meaning to our lives. No, we know this God of the universe not as the great power out there, but as our Father. As a good, good Father. And also to recognize, what, that, what does that make all of us? Brothers and sisters, right? We're called as brothers and sisters, as the family of God together. It's our Father. We are co-heirs with Christ. That means we share the inheritance with all our brothers and sisters of all that Christ as for us. It's also a recognition that we're not in charge, right? I come to my father as a child. And depending on the age of that child, there's some things that my father does that I'm not going to fully understand. But I'm still called to trust in him, to recognize that he's a good, good father. And to me, the evidence of that is the father gave his one and only son to redeem my life. And if he's given me that, will he not also along with him give us all things that recognition I may not understand it fully right now why I can't go play in this beautiful concrete place to play that's called the street where it's a beautiful place much better than my driveway to play I don't know why dad always says get out of the street but maybe I need to trust him our father in heaven again to me this doesn't put God distant out there but heaven is that spiritual reality that God is spirit. He dwells everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? So he is with us in the midst of all of this. He says, hallowed be your name. When little kids said, Harold, be your name. No, it's hallowed be your name. That's, um, it's not a word that we use a lot. Don't you want to hit the air conditioning? Does it seem a little warm in here to you guys? Yeah. You're going to have to turn it to AC and then... But the reality is when we ask God to hallow his name, it's to honor the name of God, to respect 
the name of God, to hold the name of God in high esteem. We talked about the fact that name doesn't just represent God or Jesus Christ. Name is the character of that being in Middle Eastern thought. It's may your character, may your attributes, may who you are be honored and respected and revered by me and by others in this world. To me, in here is also this call to missions. God, I want your name to be honored among all people. People that don't yet know you. People that drag your name through the mud. Lord, I want them to honor your name. And I want them to do it now. One day, yes, at the name of Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess your Lord. But Lord, I'd love to see people to come to that place right now where they honor and they respect you as you are. This is your kingdom come. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, aligning our priorities with God and not vice versa. Aligning his priorities with us. God, I want to be about your kingdom coming and your will being done. Folks, I'm not the center of the universe, and guess what? You're not the center of the universe either. Our Father is at the center of the universe. And he's a loving father. And he's a father that we can trust. But he's a father sometimes that tells us to go in directions that are a little bit challenging and difficult. To me, this aspect of the prayer is fleshed out when Jesus is in Gethsemane, right? He's wrestling, he's like, I just do not want to go through with what's ahead, Father. Is there any way, any way? And then he realizes there's not, and what does he get to you? Father, not my will, but yours be done. And that's not instantaneous. It's a struggle, right? He goes three times to pray, and I think that's significant in Scripture. Paul said to go three times to take away the thorn, right? So it's this, oh, there's a, a passion there. I don't want to go through this, but ultimately that place of, okay, I'm not at the center of the universe. You are God, and you're doing things maybe that I don't understand right now, and you're calling me to something that's really, really difficult, but it's not all about me. It's all about you, so help me to be a part of what you're doing in bringing your kingdom into this world. But to me, there's something really amazing here. God is inviting us to participate with him in bringing his kingdom into the world. As we look at the political scene in our country, no matter what side you're on, everybody, I think, senses that it's just really, really broken. Lord, I want your kingdom to come. Your perfect rule and your perfect reign. And then, Lord, make me an instrument of that kingdom coming. Thomas More, I think, said, Lord, Give us the ability to labor for what we pray for. That if we love people, we will serve people because that's part of what it means to be a servant in the kingdom of God. And we'll be generous with our resources. And we'll be kind and gracious with our words, even towards those that disagree with us. Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To me, this recognizes the brokenness of this world. Not everything that happens in this world is the will of God. And we can get into a huge discussion of sovereignty, but if I'm praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then it's a recognition it's not always done on earth in that way. We can talk about the permissive will of God and the overdue, but the reality is there's a lot of things that happens that God is not pleased with. 
God, help me not to participate in those things that don't please you, but also help me to be an agent of change in those things, in those areas that are not your will at this point in time. So we're halfway through this prayer, and we haven't even talked at all about our stuff yet. Augustine said this, Don't begin to pray for all you want until you realize God is all you need. Don't begin to pray for all you want until you realize God is all you need. Because I think so many things that we pray for are just all focused on us. And so the Lord is teaching his disciples, focus first on God, on the Father, on his will, on his kingdom, on his glory, on his name being honored. Then move to your request. Prayer has a way of altering our perspective on life. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph, and I often relate to Asaph. Asaph starts out the psalm, and he's like, God, I know you're good, but man, living for you is just terrible right now. And I look around, and I see all these people that could give a rip about you, and their lives are wonderful, perfect. They got no problems. My life is full of problems. And he says something, this was oppressive to me until I entered your sanctuary. Till I understood the ultimate destiny of all people. And he ends that psalm by saying, there's nothing on earth that I desire more than you. He started looking at the people outside of God and their lives were going so well and he was bitter, he was sour, he was felt unjustly treated by God and then he enters in in an open, honest conversation with God, and God brings him to that point. He's like, okay, my perspective is reoriented. I needed to stay, take a step back and ultimately understand the big kingdom perspective that's going on here. Help me to get to that place where I recognize, Lord, you are everything I need, and you've given me much more than that, but help me to be content with you, regardless of my situation. And he says, give us... This day, our daily bread, the first kind of part of the prayer that deals with our needs. Daily bread. Again, bread is a symbol of, of sustenance, the basics of life. Lord, give me everything that's required for life here and now. And again, I think this is kind of hard for us to comprehend. We don't live in a kind of hand-to-mouth culture where, you know, if there is a drought, and, you know, we're going to be really struggling even to find bread. But again, as I mentioned before, this year, I think, has made us all aware that all of the things that we think come so easily, toilet paper and others, that we cannot always go to Publix and to Walmart and to Sam's Club and to BJ's and get what we need instantaneously. That we're called on by God to give us every day our daily bread, those things that are necessary for our life. We've just been going through Exodus. We saw that illustration in the manor, right? How much manor were they together for that day, right? Other than on the day before the Sabbath. And I don't know about you, but this is an uncomfortable place for most of us to be. Or give us bread for six months so we can have that in the bank and so we don't really have to walk that closely with you until we get to the end of that six months and then give us enough. That's what we would prefer. Or maybe even a lifetime supply of bread that we can just stash away and go to and we go, God says, I want you to show up every day. I want you to recognize every day that you have needs that I need to meet. 
And again, in the West, they may not be so much material needs, but I think there are definitely psychological and spiritual needs that we have every day to bring those to the Lord in order to meet that need in my life. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I mean, one of the things that over and all is over as I read about prayer, that people emphasize is the need for honesty. C.S. Lewis said we must trust God with what he already knows. And I think this is really hard unless we understand the gracious heart of our good, good Father. That we recognize that we are in this relationship not because of our performance, because of his grace and love. And he already knows what's going on in our life and he wants us to come to him and acknowledge that reality. And to be specific, Psalm 139, search me God, see if there's any any obnoxious, evil way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we honest with God. And then a call as recipients of grace to be extending that grace to other people as well. Jesus told parables about this, right? The guy that comes and he's got an unforgivable debt and then billions of dollars, he's forgiven that debt and then he goes and shakes down somebody that owes him about 10 grand. And the king is furious, why? Because he was extended so much grace and did not extend any grace to this man in need that owed him. So forgiveness, we need it and we need to extend it to others. And then lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. You can translate that either way. Again, the recognition that we need protection. We need protection from ourselves, this flesh, this temptation that is ever present in our lives if we're walking through this world. And also to recognize that there's evil out there. There's a whole spiritual realm that is bent on opposing God and opposing his children. And again, we see that outlined in Ephesians 6, the spiritual warfare and what goes on there. And to me, one of the significant parts of that, after naming all the parts of the armor, he says, and pray, pray, pray. Again, this prayer is not that long, right? But to me, there's a depth in this prayer. And how I use this prayer is kind of a framework or a structure or a scaffolding around which to build my prayers. And I've been doing that for a while. And we're going to talk about various types of prayer as we go through this series. But to me, this is one of the ways that I connect with God, our Father. Okay, Lord, help me to remember that you're my Father. Help me to remember that you're a good Father. That even though my father had lacks, that's not what you're like. Help me to be about your kingdom. What purposes in my life align with your kingdom? What are disjointed from that? And to use this to just work through and say, kind of guide me here. Focus me in first on you before I get to all my stuff and all my needs and all the things that I want. Again, to me, keep it simple at the start. You know, like I said, we can read 300, 500 pages worth of books on prayer. But someone described it, prayer is like a foreign language. The best way to learn it is actually to dive into a culture and start speaking it. And yeah, you're probably going to make some mistakes along the way, but that's okay. Mother Teresa was once asked how long to pray, and she just said, do it. 
Again, you know, one of my favorite quotes on evangelism is someone was criticizing someone by the, about the style of evangelism they were using, and the person said, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. <laughs> to recognize that, okay, we're going to pray probably different. All of us have different personalities. There's different structures. That's, that's okay. But to me, this prayer gives some structure and guidance in terms of what should be in our prayers. Again, is it wrong to pray this prayer verbatim? I don't think so. But Jesus warned about just kind of an endless repetition of words that was not connected with the heart. The Pharisees, he said, these people, that man, they talk, they honor me with their lips all the time, they've got God talk coming all the way up, but what's the problem? Their hearts are far from me. So when you enter into prayer, remember it's much more about the heart posture than the words that you use. I've heard some people pray, and it, man, it sounds like, you know, we're back in 1611 in England, and, you know... And some people, I had one of my professors that I think prayed that way, but it was very sincere and very much from the heart because that's the structure that he grew up with. I was reading about C.S. Lewis, and he would not pray kind of extemporaneous prayers because he felt, oh, what if I say something wrong? So he would repeat prayers that were written down because he knew that they were theologically correct. It's like, oh, I never even thought about that. That's a different perspective. But again, regardless of the way that we do it, I think we look at Jesus' life and we see the importance of doing it. So, like the disciples, my prayer is that all of us have a heart that approaches Jesus and that Jesus teaches us to pray. How does that work in my mind right now as a flight student? When I got a 5 a.m. brief, how do I fit it in here? Or as someone that's a student right now that schedules all over the place or you're working four part-time jobs, how do I do this with three little kids that are running underfoot? Again, I'm not here to browbeat anybody. I want to encourage us to enter into prayer and that's going to look different for all of us. But I want to give you an invitation this week um, to do something. And in the Old Testament and at the time of Christ, and there were certain times of the day that folks would just pray. Usually morning, noon, mid-afternoon, and then evening. So I want to challenge you this week, wherever you are right now, and you may not want to take all three of those, you can set your watch if you're not going to remember, because we all tend not to remember stuff. But just... Maybe one time a day if you're not praying at all, or two times a day, or three, wherever you are, just to pray the Lord's Prayer. And if it's hard for you to generate additional words, just pray the Lord's Prayer. Just recite that, but engage your heart in that process. If you're a little bit more comfortable with praying, add some of your stuff in there. God, help me to honor and hallow your name. How do I do that with my coworkers? How do I do that with the boss that's breathing down my neck, or a roommate that is just a challenge right now. And just do that, and just see how it goes. It's not a huge step. Someone said the important thing about prayer is to keep it honest, keep it simple, and keep at it. Just that it's something that we're doing. So you may have a prayer kind of routine that you just got down that great. You know, let's have you up in a couple weeks to say how you nailed this thing with God and we'll learn from you in that way. But just a challenge if you're struggling with this, maybe to say, okay, I'm going to get up 10 minutes earlier in the morning. Just 10 minutes. You got that time, right? 
not to pick up your phone, not to turn on your pad, iPad or your laptop and just, okay, this is where I can be alone. And sometimes that's really, really hard. But it seems like Jesus sought after that place of solitude and quiet. Because there's so many distractions that hinder us from really being able to connect and communicate with God. And as we go through the series, we're going to talk about different types of prayer and, and stuff like that. But just maybe this week, just focus on the Lord's Prayer. If you can, three times a day. If not, morning and noon. Or morning and, at, and evening. And if not that, maybe just morning or just evening, depending on the kind of person that you are. But I just want us to develop kind of some of these habits of prayer. Because I think prayer changes our perspective more than anything. And it helps us to know, you know, God, you're with us in the midst of all this. And one kind of caution, don't expect fireworks and feeling. If those come, wonderful. You read the, the stories of people that have great prayer, and sometimes they felt incredibly close to God, and sometimes like, wow, I prayed, but I don't know if anything was accomplished here. That's just part of it, right? We're in relationship with God, and that relationship goes up, it's emotional at times, and it's not super exciting sometimes. That's just the reality of relationship. Read through the Psalms. Sometimes you're thrilled to be in God's presence, sometimes you're like, God, what in the world are you doing? And that's all okay. The main thing is staying connected with God. The worst thing that can happen is if you just disconnect. At least when two people are struggling with a relationship, if they're still communicating, even if that communication may be a little intense, but it won't be resolved, they go their separate ways and never talk. So I don't know how you're feeling about God this morning, but I'm just going to encourage you this week to bring who you really are to the real God of this universe. He can handle whatever you toss his way, and he's got a way of slowly turning your heart in good directions because he's a good, good father. Let's pray. Our Father, you are a father that loves us. Help us to remember that. That you are in heaven, that you are a spiritual being, that your presence is with us, that you are near to us. Lord, may we honor your name. May we exalt your love. May we proclaim your grace and your forgiveness and your goodness to those around us. Lord, may your name be honored all around this globe. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, reorient our perspective to value the things that are values in your kingdom. Lord, where your will is not being done in our lives, give us the strength to change. And Lord, in areas that you place on our heart, help us to be agents of your kingdom. Give us the strength to labor for your will to be done when we see injustice and hatred, and we bring love and truth. Lord, give us today what is needed. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a place where these daily needs we often don't concern ourselves with. 
And Lord, help us at a deep spiritual level understand our need for you. It were not for your grace and your mercy and your sustaining power, I wouldn't even be able to take a breath. Help me to realize that I'm helpless without you. Help me to abide in you. Help me to live in the moments of the day and not get stressed out and anxious about what's going to happen four or five weeks or months or years from now. Lord, forgive us for the things that we've done wrong. Those things we know that we do anyway that offend you. Forgive us, Lord, and grant us your strength to repent, to turn, to change. Empower us by your Spirit. Lord, help us to have gracious, forgiving hearts with others. To accept others as you accept us. Not to demand perfection. Not to write people off who wrong us. Not to respond in kind when we are wronged. Lord, that's so foreign to us. We need your help. Lord, keep us away from temptation. Those areas of weakness that we all have, that they're all different. Lord, protect us from ourselves. And Lord, we recognize we're in a spiritual battle, so we just ask that you be strong on our behalf in that realm. Lord, it's all about your kingdom. It's all about your honor and your glory. And it will be now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' powerful and precious name that we all pray. Amen. God bless you as you walk with us this week.